You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 3rd of June. An absolutely brilliant first quarter puts an end to a dominating series by the Utah Jazz. We'll talk about the Jazz win over the Grizzlies, plus the kill your buzz injury to Mike Conley and how serious this is. Who do we want to play as the Clippers and Mavericks move to game six? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow, pow, pow. What a performance by the Utah Jazz last night. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the program, this is a daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. We give it to you in about 30 minutes every single day. We're analytically driven. We try to give you some insight without being too much of a homer, and we root for the Jazz heart. And uh, we do it for you every day. So subscribe on, follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, whatever it is uh, that you listen to the program. Today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. All right. um, That was brilliant. That was really an incredibly brilliant performance by the Utah Jazz last night. Uh, the Grizzlies had been feisty and come after the Jazz and had all these rallies, and the Jazz had answered every single one of the previous games. I described the Grizzlies uh, in the game the other night as, remember when you were a kid and they used to have those things, those like inflatable thing that you punched and it like would go down and come back up and you punch and you go down and come back up. And at some point in the process, you got like frustrated and you literally just stood on top of it and you just pounded on it. It just stayed on the ground the whole time. Like that's what the Jazz did last night. Like that was, that was awesomely impressive. The first quarter is one of the best quarters of basketball I've seen the Jazz play this year. I mean, obviously the shooting was crazy. 18 of 26, 9 of 15 from three in the quarter. But they, on the defensive end, they didn't allow a free throw. They had figured out John Moran a little bit. They, by scoring, kept them in the half court every single time. And they really, the Jazz were just truly remarkable in that first quarter last night. And there was, it, they were just running a path down the angle right to the basket. It, I'll be curious to find out whether that just is what the Grizzlies gave up or if there was something there that the Jazz saw. Because if you go back and watch that first quarter, the Jazz are just coming angle right the whole time at the Grizzlies and collapsing the defense or getting all the way to the basket. The other one that's interesting to me is, you know, throughout the series and really throughout the season, we've seen teams have to make a choice of whether or not they're going to take away Rudy Gobert or whether or not they're going to... uh, whether or not they're going to take away Rudy Gobert or whether they're going to take away our three-point shooters. I really suspected coming into game number five that Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies were going to drop the big back to the way they did at the regular season, force the Jazz into off-the-bounce threes, and make the Jazz play a a different game. The opposite really happened. Like, if you start walking through those threes, the Dylan Brooks, who I've kind of talked about as great a defensive player as he is, is the one who kind of 
is always freelancing, allows an opening three to Donovan. Mike Conley gets in the paint. Once again, Dylan Brooks freelances, and Donovan gets a wide-open three. These were not like three-point shots because they, I mean, I guess they were taking away Rudy's role a little bit, but the Jazz just kept getting down the right side of the floor, kicking out, and then rotating. Boyan's drive to the basket. They literally have the five guys back in the paint on the drive, leaving Mike Conley wide open for three. And so this is kind of the same thing. Rudy ends up with one shot attempt, and the Grizzlies and the Jazz end up with 15 three attempts. And my only thought would be that this, you know, the Jazz really handled the Grizzlies and and whacked them in that game four when they kept making runs at the Jazz and just as I talked about, like the thing coming back at them and the Jazz pounding it back down. And if you watch, when I rewatched the first quarter, I really went back and rewatched the 15 threes. Memphis just isn't sharp anymore. They've just had their soul broken. The Jazz broke them, I think, in the third quarter of game four. And to Memphis's credit, they had played the most games of any team in the second half of the season. They had they won like eight of their last nine regular season games in kind of a half-to-win environment. They had won a do-or-die game against San Antonio. They'd won a do-or-die game against Golden State. They beat us in game one. They had this momentum flying, but fatigue kicked in. And I thought it kicked in in the third. They mentally, I thought, finally lost their edge in the third quarter of game four. And they just weren't sharp the same way. And the Jazz were so sharp, and they took advantage of it in every way, shape, or form. It was really, the, it was the opening quarter was a display of no matter what you throw at us, if you don't throw at us with perfect execution, we're going to throttle you. And that's exactly what the Jazz did. They did it both in transition as well as in the half court. They played off the bounce, but Memphis was slow in rotations. The Memphis was not getting their spots defensively. The threes were wide open, and the Jazz recognized every single piece of the puzzle they needed to have. And they frankly ex- abused Dylan Brooks' defensively again like if you go back and watch those 15 threes the amount of times it's Dylan Brooks as the one who kind of takes a line that's that's not a natural line of defense or over shifts they get him so that was a theme to me the whole time is as good as Dylan Brooks is I think the Jazz learned some patience on Dylan Brooks that if you actually play it right with him he'll eventually overshift and you can take advantage uh what he's doing this was the superior team having seen the other team for five games and just waxing them and it was awesome the crowd was so incredible as an announcer i was truly overwhelmed by what i was a part of last night it was so great i mean calling games i i will admit that the the absolute horrendous misery of calling road games this year where as a play-by-play announcer you have about 20 percent of your ability to call the game correctly and there's no actual way to do it well and i find it virtually on in in the realm of play-by-play torturous um calling home games has become such an unbelievable pleasure and dream uh and and i and then to call home games uh with cra- with the crowd is been amazing uh interestingly i don't know if anyone cares but just to share as a as in my life as a play-by-play announcer it's the the misery of calling road games has actually i think made me a way better announcer when i'm in the arena now uh it, it, it's been a reminder to all the tools you have in the bag that you can actually use during a game that you actually can't use when it's on television and so i actually 
have this kind of mixed thing right now where I honestly, like game four is one of the worst games I've ever called. And like then on home games, you actually have your whole bag of tricks and you've been reminded by not having them, which, you know, what, what you can have. And it's been really fun to use, use that. So, all right, that's about my personal development and you don't really care. Um, but, or well, if you do, thank you. But I just thought the jazz, um, the crowd was just overwhelming. If, if you were listening and you heard my calls at the end of the like timeouts, like the place was just crazy. I mean, it was just, it was electric in the, in, in unison and together. And that's something we haven't had. My, I think I've told the story that my daughter said when she was at, in the game with like 6,000 people, that was great, but there was no collective energy. We were on a run and no, you know, nobody as a group was standing up and here you were, um, this was collective energy and community and togetherness. And it was just kind of awesome. Uh, tip of the hat to the jazz, the silent message before the game about, um, player uh, fan just, uh, behavior was was really perfectly done the arena went black um and then a uh, the board goes to white with black lettering and just a silent note that everyone read and started cheering throughout and you know our fan base wants to do the right thing you know or at least you know the 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 98 percentile of the fan wants to do the right thing and, you know, we just got to straighten out. It was interesting to me. Um, I don't know if this is his regular seats or not, but Jazz President Jim Olson was seated in front of the Memphis Grizzlies bench, um, right next to where the Memphis Grizzlies family sits. Um, I think the Jazz made incredible efforts yesterday uh, and will continue to do so to make sure that the arena is a place where other teams like to come. I think the message got across to John Morant. Uh, Ryan Smith uh, gave... Uh, T. Morant and his family, a VIP treatment, and Ja Morant after the game made comments that, you know, it meant the world to him and showed that support. And, um, and they, um, so I think, you know, really a, a, a cool, you know, step, you know, steps of who we're becoming and where we're heading and in the transition for the state as well as the organization, all those things that are, um, a part of what, what is becoming, um, the uh, Utah Jazz under Ryan Smith, and I think hopefully the state of Utah and all the positives. This was this was one, you know, I think where we did a nice job, right? Um, and they did a nice job all the way across, and and took a a very large negative and uh, turned it into a positive. So uh, good to see. All right, it was great. There is one buzzkill, um, and uh, and by and and by the way, just a few notes on that one. The Jazz over the last four games. Um, only trailed for eight minutes. Um, you know, if you start running through those games, um, the Jazz lead was was fairly sig- Jazz led by twenty or more. Um, last night for almost all of the game, uh, one average lead last night was twenty one points. Um, they that was really a pretty dominating um performance by the Jazz. And even if you go to, you know, game four. The Jazz lead by double digits for most of that third quarter and some of the fourth quarter. It gets down to five. They take it right back up to double digits again. Um, this was a, a pretty dominating performance. The last time the Grizzlies led in this series was at about the four-minute mark of the second quarter of game four, and they led for about a minute of game four. Um, so when it got down to it, the Jazz were the far superior team as they should be. Grizzlies have their youth. They have a star player in John Morant who's going to be just remarkable as he gets better and better. 
But, I mean, truthfully, this was not a close series. The Jazz trailed for, I think, 37 seconds of, of game three, um, right in the fourth, happened to be in the fourth quarter, and then promptly went on a 12-0 run. They led by an average of eight points per game. You know, the line on some of these games were nine points, and those, that's, that's a sign that these games were not particularly close. So particularly impressive, very, very impressive performance uh, by the Utah Jazz. Uh, today's show is brought to you by... Biograss. This is a really cool Utah company. It's the big yellow bag, which is signature with great gardens around Utah, the mulch and everything. Um, and it's a neat company. It's a Utah family. Uh, they're, the, the grandfather, I think it was, actually worked in the um, Reagan administration uh, in their environmental. They built this incredible uh, product and it's the big yellow bag.com and if you if you kind of run uh, go check it out at bigyellowbag.com with the promo code locked on you get forty dollars off um, and it's um, it's a pretty cool uh, family I got to know Clark uh, a little bit Doug Jardine their their PR guy and and we all got on a call and and had a you know kind of interesting I got to learn about them and it's it's really cool so anyway bigyellowbag.com um, if you go to their website you'll see it. And uh, it's the quality black garden soil and mulch delivered free to your home. No mess, no lugging, starts dry. And then you have the most beautiful uh, house around um, and most beautiful garden around. BigYellowBag.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is the place for you to get all of your parts and needs for your cars at the reliably low prices. Amazing selection, all the parts your car will ever need. The cool thing about Rock Auto, the catalog, unique, remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Best of all, Reliably low for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much on the same parts? Go to rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on the How'd You Hear About Us section. It's locked on in the How'd You Hear About Us section at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So Mike Conley feels a tug in the first quarter of the game on his hamstring. This is not good. Mike says he'll be fine, but Mike has a tendency to say that. This has been going on for a long time. And maybe this is just the reality of Mike Conley's career at this point in time, but it's it's pretty unfortunate that there's just for whatever reason they've, you know, they haven't been able to get through this and solve this. If you if you run back the first time I believe this happened was December of 2019. When Mike feels a hamstring issue, he he sits out five games. He sits out, at that point, he sits out for 15 days. He then comes back, plays 19 minutes, and goes back out on the shelf. But this time, he went on the shelf for 30 days and then came back, played the rest of the year, did take a three-day break in the, in the all, around the All-Star break that gave him you know another 13 days off. That was last year, and and the scary thing to me about this is no matter how much time he takes off, it's not getting any better, right? Like, we're just on this now perpetual cycle of when does it happen again? And so we start this year, it goes great, he plays 23 games, and then he has 
The twin, the same thing, and he sits from February 5th to February 19th, so that's 14 days. And then he has the twinge again on April 26th after the game, back-to-back games in Minnesota, doesn't play, and he sits for 17 days. So we have four, five incidences over the last three seasons with Mike where he has this hamstring issue and 15, 30, 13, 14, 17 days. That's the entire series. Now, I have no idea if it's the exact same thing. I mean, quite honestly, only I can go on is what Mike's saying. It sure sounds like the exact same thing. I, I, don't, I haven't talked to anybody in our medical staff or anything like that. So I don't know. Maybe this is far less and they sat him because we were up by so much and things like that. But the more concerning one to me on this is like, even if he comes back now, do like, you know, first time he goes and plays back two back-to-back games without a rest, he hasn't, you know, he's he did that at 30 minutes and we have the issue. You know, if you kind of go back through it and you look at our schedule, he has not played three games on a back-to-back, like in that stretch since he did it in, April, he played 31 minutes against Denver, Dallas, 35 minutes against Phoenix. Then he played 22 against Portland on a back-to-back, and he played 31 against Sacramento as they tried to rev him up. And, and then he, he, I don't remember why, but then he doesn't play. He takes a day off. I don't think it was a sore hamstring. I think they might have just, I think it was a back-to-back, and they rested him on the on the front side. You know, if you actually look, he hasn't played more than four games in a row since he played five in a row in the beginning of March, and he hasn't played more than five games in a row since he hurt his hamstring in February. And so here he suddenly played five games in a row and had a problem. And actually he played seven before we had the week off. So this this is I mean, I'm I'm I, I, I don't want to like be the Debbie Downer and and raise the red flag, you know, the alarm flag, but I'm alarmed. You know, when I came back and looked at the amount of time he's missed every time he's had this and then looked about the fact that since February 19th, he has not played more than five games without a day off. That's that's disconcerting. And we're going to be playing every other day. So even I guess what I'm really concerned about is even if Mike comes back, and is able to play for game one because it's not till Tuesday and that got him time off. We no longer have a track record with this hamstring that's been going on for two years of him being able to play an extended stretch other than the start of the season. Like, that was great. But since it reared its ugly head for the second straight year, that it has not, you know, and, and you know, he's 30-whatever years old, and he has been so outstanding. And we need him desperately. So to me, that's, you know, that's the disconcerting little piece of this puzzle is that, you know, we played game one, got two days off, played game two, got two days off, played game three, went one day off, played game four, one day off, played game five, hamstring issue. So I went back and looked and said, well, how many times has he played three games in five days? And that's when I found that little stretch against where he plays the one back to you know he plays a back to back he in that he played three games in four days, and he played then the next um, Sacramento game so he he played three games in four days twice there one with twenty two minutes inside of it 
So that's good. But then I was, you know, then it was stunning to like see that like, oh, wow, the way they managed it this year and probably correctly, I'm assuming like there's a reason for this is if you since he came back from his hamstring, four games day off, five games day off, four games day off, three games day off, four games day off, two games day off, four games re-injury. Um, and then two games at 20 minutes and now four games and re-injury. So, you know, you know, do we have to have Mike Conley to win? Yeah, probably. Um, one of the really interesting things about this series, and it might have just been the opponent, was what the Jazz were able to do offensively depending on who was on the floor conducting the offense. And this is what the Jazz had going was 48 minutes of an all-star conducting the offense in the series, and they were dominant. So when Donovan was on the floor without Mike Conley in this series against the Memphis Grizzlies, the Jazz offense was a 122.7 in the 70th percentile, and the Jazz were uh, plus 15. When... Mike Conley and Donovan were on the floor together. The offense was an incredible 142. <laughs> Our first quarter offenses were 140, 140, 140, 180 in the last four games. Like this was, the Jazz manhandled them by the end. The With Mike Conley and Donovan, it was a 142 and we are plus 25. And with Mike Conley on the floor and Donovan Mitchell off the floor, we were a 125 plus 9.2. But when Donovan and Mike were both off the floor, and if Mike is injured, then this is a considerable amount of some of the game. We had an offensive rating of an 83.9, and we were minus 49 per 100 possessions, and our defense was dreadful. Now, luckily, we only did that for 56 possessions of the entire series. But we were minus 49 per 100 possessions. We had an offensive rating of 83.9, which was in the zero percentile. And our defense was a 132, which is in the second percentile for the minutes played without Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley on the floor. So if we're suddenly playing without Mike Conley, that's disconcerting. Let's see what the... Uh, betonline.ag lines are for the NBA futures. The Jazz are now plus 150 to win the West. The Clippers are plus 450. Phoenix is plus 450. Lakers are plus 500. Nuggets are plus 900. And Dallas is plus 1100 at betonline.ag to win the title Brooklyn is plus 160. Utah's plus 400. The Bucs are plus 625. Clippers plus 900. Phoenix plus 900. Lakers plus 1,000. The odds to uh, the odds to win the East, Brooklyn's minus 150. What's that series? That's, that's going to be a heck of a series. Bucks nets according to betonline.ag, Nets are minus 205. Bucks are plus 175. Mavericks are minus 160 now to win that series. Clippers are plus 140. Who do we want to play? We'll address it next. As the That's all at betonline.ag. Make sure you use your promo code LOCKEDON to get a 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag.
The Utah Jazz will be in the second round. Tickets are available at noon today. If you're listening to this after, they're already available at utahjazz.com. Jump aboard, get your tickets. They're available at utahjazz.com. Tip of the hat to our TV crew who wrapped up their season. Ron and I will be the only ones on the call. We're trying to hopefully arrange uh, back to normalcy a little bit and bring you the best we can during that time period. So um, make sure you uh, tune in. But thank you. congratulations to Craig Polarjack, Matt Harpering, Thurl Bailey, uh, Alama Harrington, Kristen Kenny on a fabulous season. Jeremy Brunner, Travis Henderson, Scott Rogers in the truck uh, doing amazing work, yeoman's work on what was very, very difficult this year uh, for everyone, as has been for most people. But uh, congratulations um, to all of them and, and their work uh, and what they've done uh, on a, what was putting together an incredible broadcast. It's an honor to be a part of the team. I miss the days in which we were we were together and uh, you know our deep conversations on the road and bowlers the best. And so uh, really... Uh, congratulations to all of them uh, for what they're doing. All right, let's, uh, who do we want to play? So, I mean, I think the easy answer is you want to play Dallas because Dallas is just not as good defensively. And Chris Dapps-Persingis is bad defensively. On the other end, like what Luca's doing is incredible. Luca like assisted or scored on every point they had last night. And he's unguardable. When you look at their seasons, the Clippers were the sixth best offense. Dallas was the ninth best offense. The Clippers were the 10th best defense and Dallas was the 16th best defense. So like that feels like, okay, well that, that, that answers that question. Against top 10 defensive teams this year, Dallas had the number one offense in the entire league by a million miles. Now that makes me nervous. So against the top 10 defensive team... Oh, wait a sec. This was filtered for the playoffs. That's what they've done this year in the playoffs. In the reg- Let me find the regular season number. It's still equally as impressive. In the Dallas's offense was ninth best at a 114. The Clippers was a 116. But Dallas was actually got a lot better def- uh, defensively in that setting. Against top 10... Um, against top 10 offenses this year during the regular season... The Clippers, who were never really at full strength, so it's hard to tell, Dallas had the third best offense to match, and they also had the third, this was interesting, Dallas had the third best defense in the NBA this year against top 10 offenses. So, again, the easy answer says that, and but Luka is so great, Dallas had a lot of different little weapons. They're, they can match us offensively. Both these teams shoot the threes at the rate we do, so we lose our math advantage. And the Clippers are loaded with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But th- on the other end, the fact that the Clippers are down 3-2 right now, to me, says that there's something that's still not quite right about that group. Um. You know, I love that group because Serge Ibaka brought an element to them they didn't have. I love that group because Luke Kennard brought ball movement to that group that they didn't have. They did have 25 assists last night, so they're moving it in some capacity. Um, Maybe as last resorts, but they are moving it. I love them because of Nicholas Batum and what they did. But what they've really become here, at least in this Dallas series, is Marcus Morris is their center. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George with Nicholas Batum and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson was good last night going 6 of 12 for 3, but he's not great. 
Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is awfully hard for us to find two guys that can guard both of them. Like, Joe Ingles is going to have to find a way to defend a little bit better than he against, against Dorsberg, against Dylan Brooks. And he's going to have to find a way, you know, to engage in the games. He just, he doesn't look engaged. There's some something strange going on with Joe. He, the amount of times he's like signaling for somebody else to go catch the basketball and take the ball instead of him is just not really who he is. So I, I don't, he just doesn't seem right. Hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll get right. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. By the way, we just got word. Uh, if there's a Sunday game, it's Dallas at Utah at 3.30 local time on ABC. Think about this. If Dallas, this literally just came across to me one minute ago. If Dallas wins game six late Friday night, I think at this point we're rooting for Dallas to win. And here's why. If Dallas wins, just because of this, if Dallas wins Friday night on game five, they fly Saturday, they don't have time to practice, and we play at 3.30 on Sunday, they don't have time to practice. They don't have a shoot around. Like if, I I think we want Dallas to win game six because we play game one Sunday at, at, excuse me, at at 1.30 hour time, 3.30 Eastern. 1.30 1.30 hour time, Sunday. I mean, they just don't have time to get ready at all. We barely have time to get ready either, but our staff is working on the various scouts right now, and they would have a whole practice day on Sunday or on Saturday to get ready for it. That That is, this is why you wanted to be the one seed the whole time. So you could get a Memphis team that was worn out by having played the two playoff games, get done with your schedule season early, and then turn around and have this type of, Three a one thirty Sunday start for the Jazz against the Dallas Mavericks would just be such a massive advantage for the Jazz. And then, frankly, we'll play game two on Tuesday. They would only have one more day to get ready. You could be up 2-0 in the series before they engage in it. And they have to be worn out. This is a massive advantage. So root for Dallas. That's what we want. That, that segment just changed. The schedule just dictated who we want to have to play. We'll deal with Luca. We'll deal with Chris Dapps bringing uh, Rudy out of the middle because the, the strength, the, the rest advantage is so significant. All right. Super fun. Great win. Uh, I'll probably rewatch a little bit for tomorrow. We might do a live show tomorrow as well, just to uh, spend some time together. Uh, so uh, hope you're enjoying it. Super, super win. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Locked on Mavericks and Locked on Clippers are both really fun shows. Nick and Isaac does do an amazing job. They're available, by the way, also on YouTube on Locked on Mavericks if you want to watch them that way. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in.